Welcome back to the Architecture Firm Marketing Podcast. I'm Dave Sharp of Vanity Projects. I help architecture firms to decide on a marketing direction and then implement it, whether they're writing, focusing on social media, pushing their projects out to the traditional media, whatever an architecture firm is doing, I can help them do it a little bit better and a little bit faster. So today's episode is with Scott Valentine from Vale Architects. Now, he caught my attention on LinkedIn because I was posting uh, some uh, unsolicited advice about what to do for marketing your architecture firm. He jumped into the comments with a suggestion on how he had been able to generate a ton of interest in his architecture firm. The way he had done that was by writing and sharing knowledge about his specific vertical, which was hospitality. He wrote two guides, the Niche Hotel Design Guide and the Instagram Design Guide, which was to help the hospitality industry understand how architecture can be a linchpin for making their brands more shareable and relevant on social media. Within one year of starting the campaign, he's been interviewed by Dezine, BBC, The Guardian, Post and Mail Canada, Perspective Magazine Hong Kong, South China Morning Post, Phoenix Magazine, and a bunch of different industry news. Uh, His guide has been published all over the internet. And even though his practice is only a little over a year old, he's had tens of thousands of visitors to his website uh, and a ton of interest around his brand. In this interview, we talk about his thoughts on creating content, about sharing knowledge, his process for doing that, his point of view on how the media works, um, on taking risks, on defining a marketing strategy, on figuring out your positioning. Uh, without any further ado, here is Scott Valentine from Vale Architects. I, I've worked in a number of firms over the years throughout uh, Australia, Brisbane, Perth, uh, Singapore, and the Caribbean. Uh, I I got into I, I worked in Brisbane for three years. That's where I sort of learned how to be an architect, I guess, uh, for Mondo Architects way back in uh, 2004. 2004, I think I started there. Uh, so that was quite a while ago, and um, and it's been a long road since. Uh, but uh, I got on my first hospitality projects in uh, Barbados. So I was working for Grounds Kent Architects on the Four Seasons Barbados, and I kind of I kind of really liked that. That was fun. Um, so I was there for a year and a half, and then I uh, eventually I, I kind of split up my university and came back and finished university. But um, yeah, I've been working in Asia a lot for for many years. Um, designing hotels for a, a an American company in Singapore. Yeah, I I, I really you know like that space. But um, you know you you always see these same problems happen in in um, architecture where uh, people start up companies. Um, they follow the same method as the person before them. Um, they take about seven years to grow, and then you know uh, an economic change happens. They nearly go out of business. Then they start growing again. Seven years later, boom! They nearly go out of business again, and this seems to be a repetitive task. So, I had the challenge of, um, okay, how do we change this? How do we change the way that we um, grow and build an architectural company? Um, I've had many, many people come and tell me how I should be doing it, which is great. Thank you very much, all those people. Um, and no, it is, it is kind of, it's kind of all right because. Um, you know, they. If, if you cannot come back at that, per, if you cannot come, you know, support your argument, then there might, might be a problem. So all those people that 
tell me, oh, you've got to go find a client and beg for a job. And then you've got to go, uh, then you've got to get a few of those jobs. And then mm. after that, they say, I did that, but now I still can't get jobs. And you're like, okay, why are you giving me that advice then? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, so the, whole, the whole goal was about how fast can we grow a company and how can we do it differently? And it really wasn't about, oh, can I start an architectural company? Because I know I can, that's doable. You know, you sit in a city long enough. Um, you sit in a place long enough, um, you build a network and then you influence that network and you'll get, you know, renovations, then you get houses and, and it goes up from there. And that's been done a million times before. And it's really, really hard to do that. So a lot of respect to everyone who's done that. And uh, we're by no means anywhere near what uh, those people who are way in front of us are doing. It, the, the, the challenge was how do we do this differently? We tried some things at first in, in Brisbane. We tried to influence the... Um, the sort of thinking on the Southeast Queensland Regional Plan. I don't think anyone listened. Uh, that's okay. But we learned a lot of lessons in that failure. Um, and then, uh, and we've actually been influenced a great deal by brand strategists and people outside of architecture. We realise that everyone in architecture and keeps looking inward. And if we look outwards, we can see a whole bunch of people who think differently to us, but are in pretty much the same space. So we look at brand strategists, we look at um, software designers, UX designers, um, movie makers, anyone, anyone who's out there doing something creative and see, you know, what are they doing and how can we be influenced by that? What sort of drives you to not compare yourself to other architecture firms? Why do you feel comfortable in a way that so many directors struggle? I've worked for probably eight firms and that was probably by choice. It wasn't, I wasn't, I was yep. always... They always wanted to keep me on, but um, it's by choice. It's, it's sort of last three years and you're like, I've learned what I can learn here. And then the goal, yeah. I think the goal hit me when I was about 22, I was working for a Singaporean firm and I'm like, oh, I reckon I could do better, you know, not realizing how hard it is, but that's okay. So I, yeah. at that point is when I think, oh, yeah, one day I want to have my own firm. Um, but it wasn't yep. until about 2012 where I, you know, I was back and forward between, okay, I've either got to get, stay in this business or get out of this business because it mm. it's it sucks if you're not if you're not the best or if you're not trying to be the best or if you're you're not up there it's it sucks you're doing suburban homes which are all right but mm -hmm. it's not what i like so uh, the goal yeah. was like how do we do this different um yeah and i went to work for someone else for a few years and and, and learn a bunch of things there but the, yeah the goal was also always about you know you need to be the best and how to do that and you know, I, I think it came from a point where I, I was sort of struggling at, at a point in uh, my life, and mm. from that, it's it's um, it's either okay, I've got to do something I love, I've got to do something really incredible and different, because um, the alternative isn't so great. And I can I can relate to that as well because I also felt almost a sense of impatience about architecture success following the conventional path seems so incredibly low and it also seemed like it was going to take a really 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 long time and maybe I felt that I just didn't really have the patience for it but I ultimately wanted to end up owning my own business working with clients doing and getting to be independent in that way is that sort of what was going through your head that you maybe wanted a, a you said you want to grow quickly but is it just that you wanted to be able to get to a, a sense of or a feeling of independence sooner? It pro quite, quite possibly. Um, 
I've been sort of self-funding this through money I'd saved um, to, to build the brand. And that was a focus. I, I guess it was, can I do it, is the challenge. Um, and then that success of doing it. There's this thing, and you may have got this uh, in earlier years, when you're an architect and you go on site and you see you're building up and it's built and you, mm. and you, you can't believe it. It's just weird. Um, you look at it and mm. it's and it's real and you're like, that was on paper yeah. and now it's a real thing. Um, and I guess it's that a chase and pursuit of that kind of feeling is that I had an idea and I wanted to pursue it and because uh, I've done this a million times with buildings, surely I can do this with the business. So so the, the idea that you had for your practice, what did it, what does it look like? Yeah, so I think the idea we had at the start was that my value isn't in doing townhouses. My value isn't in doing um, commercial, uh, industrial or something like that. My value is in, in hotels and hospitality. Now, that's a really mm-hmm. hard niche to get into, to get back into mm-hmm. even. Um, I can, I've can i drawn a lot of 50,000 square metre five-star hotels, and so I know how they go together. And that, I guess that's sort of the starting point. It's like I know this really well, and then you you kind of go from there. And if I'm picking a niche and there's something I love doing, and I love doing hospitality, so uh, the problem is then that people that can pay for those buildings are usually billionaires. Um, they're very hard mm-hmm. to influence and get to. So that's kind of the that was always the struggle. It's I want these bigger buildings but there's no way they're going to give me these bigger buildings. So how do I influence that? And so that's that's kind of been the struggle of like, how can we influence their decision-making? I wanted to get a little bit into this idea of positioning in your niche and how to feel comfortable doing it. Because when you're getting started, you're, you sort of have a scarcity mindset that there's not that many opportunities out there for you when you're just getting started. So, you better broaden yourself out so that you're not missing out on potential work. But obviously, you didn't feel that way. So, what's your kind of take on positioning and focusing on a niche and sort of saying no to other kinds of work? Well, firstly, I don't think you need to say no to other kinds of work. You just aren't trying to reach out to that kind of work. If it comes your way and the client's a good fit, then by all means do it. I would. The positioning part is actually quite, it's quite um, one thing learning from last year is the content Mm. you push out will steer the ship is basically what it comes down to. So if, if I push out a lot of content about hospitality, to produce that content takes a lot of work. Some of those articles that you'll see on our site took two minimum two weeks, maximum six weeks to do. The one on art and design took six weeks to do. We had to interview a bunch of people. So in that process, you start to clarify your ideas. You start to be a voice um, on the internet that, mm-hmm. that is helping people, helping them understand better about that space. You have a body of knowledge mm-hmm. now in your head when you get talk to people that you know that space really well because you've, you've spent so much time uh, perfecting the writing or an, an animation or an illustration or something on it. So you don't necessarily, you, I'd say you don't necessarily need to, to your company to have done all the work. You, you need to talk about it a lot and, and be very helpful and, and show people that you know it and, and how bring value to them. Um, if you can do that, people start to go, yeah, you're the guy that knows this stuff. 
and they'll they'll you know they'll believe what you believe because you already know it. You you're you've been doing it for years probably with someone else. So you already know that you can do this stuff really well. It's trying to communicate that with the outside world, and the content is really it's it's been the best thing for us. I think in pr- sitting down producing that it's it's had so many benefits, and and that's definitely something I would speak highly of to people who are thinking what how how do I get into a niche? How do I um, be the master of that niche? So what's your process for creating your content? Usually I wake up in the morning and I think of something and I'm like, oh, people would like that. Or I'm riding my motorbike around and um, and I'm thinking, oh, there's a thing. Um, but a lot of the time and with the niche um, Instagram design guide, it was we were going to client meetings and they just we, we kept finding this problem of, oh, I want to be in the top nine tiles of Instagram. And everyone already knew being on Instagram was what would make their business happen. So we were like, has anybody formalized this? Has anybody thought, why is this happening? Oh, geez, maybe we should maybe we should just dig in on this because it seems like there's something here. And if we put the formal thinking together, we can then present that to everyone and then they can all learn from it and benefit from it. It's, it'll come from client meetings. It'll come from talking to people in bars, hotels, restaurants, um, and, and sort of just finding out what problems are they having. If I can identify the problems that they're having, then I can start to produce content that will bring value to them. Do you think that that's much easier to do when you're seeing a lot of the similar kind of client? Yeah, you, you, you probably will. You'll start to understand their specific problems. And that's the whole idea of being in a niche, right? You you want to deal with their specific problems so that nobody else outside of that can can deal with that. You're the, you're the um, thought leader. You're the, the master of that niche. Yeah, you, you want to be speaking to a lot of people in whatever niche it is that you're focused on. And then and then you can start to see the problems. And then, you know, because what and what happens is once you start to do a few of these, they start to pop into your head quickly, a lot faster. And, and then you start to get a methodolo- methodology about how you write and the formatting. Like, I, I'm a terrible writer myself. I'm fairly dyslexic, like most architects. Um, but I have an awesome writer who helps me. And uh, I've improved a lot, and so I can put the structure together, and I can get all the everything making sense together. Then I give it to him, and we argue about it, and eventually we have something that looks amazing. Do you create a kind of uh, outline of your thoughts on the idea, how you would answer the question? Does it usually start from a question? Yeah, so it starts with a question, and I write a question on. I open my Google Docs. Love using Google Docs. And I write, I write my question and then I write a bunch of, oh, why is that happening? Why is that happening? Why is that happening? And I'll go down and I'll end up with a big lot of sort of questions and I start to try and answer it. And then I start to try and format that into um, a structure of, of, okay, here's the problem, uh, here's the current problem, and then here's a potential solution. So it starts off literally with that question, why is this happening? Why is this happening? You just keep asking yourself why and you go down and you dig and you... And you start to pull out this sort of um, understanding. And, and sometimes you'll have to refer to books that you've read or you'll remember something. Oh, I read that in a Seth Godin book or something like that. And you start to sort of shape it based on uh, real research. You're not making stuff up. And then you can hypothesize some stuff because you're, you know, you know this space. You know it really well. So um, don't forget that uh, you're also pretty smart and can start to say, well, this is probably happening because of this reason. So then your writer gets that and and what's your were they familiar with architecture before they started um, writing for you and helping you? Yeah, so uh, his name's Chris Verlay. Um, he's a friend of mine and um, we came across each other by chance. Um, I was um, staying at his his place at Airbnb 
And then uh, we got talking and his background was working uh, for lobbying groups in, um, in London before. He doesn't do that now. He does life coaching. Um, but um, he's quite a good writer and he's, and he's very nerdy about the writing. And he says, I can't come up with the ideas, but I love putting, getting it together once, once the idea is there. The great thing about having him is he knows nothing about architecture. So he has to see it from the outsider's perspective from the, um, you know, from the layperson's perspective. So if, if I'm too technical or, or I'm just going off on a tangent, he's like, well, I, I don't get it. You know, if he doesn't get it, then the other people aren't probably going to get it. So he's outside of architecture, which is great. What does your next move kind of look like from there? Well, now we have a, a decent-sized mailing list from the Instagram design guide. Um, but so it would it would be emailing the, the marketing list um, that we have which is people who were previously interested in what we were doing. And earlier when we weren't getting traction, I would create lists and lists of industry news sites and I would contact them all and they would not contact me back. <laughs> um, every now and then I got like one or two and they published me. Um, but it wasn't until one of my friends um, saw a design article about Instagram design or something. And then I... Um, and, and Chris, my writer, actually encouraged me, why don't you just email the email the editor, Marcus Fairs? I'm like, all right, okay. So I emailed him. He emailed me straight back. And he's like, oh, this is amazing. This is great. I'm going to publish this. Oh, here's some questions. Um, and then that took off and, and a lot of sort of small blogs were posting it. And so that sort of rode naturally on its own. And then actually John Elway, who you just talked about on your LinkedIn profile, he messaged me one day and he said, oh, these, um, Oliver Wainwright from The Guardian is doing this thing on Instagram stuff. You should let him know what you're doing. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. Who's that? I didn't, I didn't know who he was at the time. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, everyone knows who he is. Okay, I didn't know who he was. Um, so uh, so I messaged him and, and, and from there, people just search me now when they find me. I don't, I don't have to email anyone anymore. They just come to me. Uh, which was the whole idea now. So like the BBC just came straight to me, uh, a lot of magazines, some magazines, um, just just a lot of people. I get constant um, people wanting to talk about this right at the moment. I'm sure it'll fizz down um, soon enough, but um, we'll make some more content and they'll get excited about that too. So, I mean, we, we, we tailor a, a, a marketing email to go out. We push it on sites. I'll push it on Facebook groups, but I found that kind of useless because uh, I pushed it on some hospitality ones and people didn't really get it. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, or, or on Instagram, I just, I mean, I, I, I use Instagram as my biggest networking tool. That's how I was do, doing a project with the guys from Major Laser is I just talked to Walshy Fire on Instagram and, and he's like, hey, I've got this thing I need help with. I'm like, oh yeah, cool, I'll do it. So I, lo I love that you say, I just, I just talked to Walshy Fire from Major Laser on Instagram. So <laughs> that's like... So did you just you you were he wasn't following you I guess so he was just there with his Instagram profile and did you sort of see an opportunity or see him talking about his house or something did uh, did you direct message him and reach out to him or what I I direct message everyone I direct message everyone <laughs> like everyone ask your mum I probably message her <laughs> I, I I bet you have slid into my mum's DMs at some point but um. <laughs> It's it's exactly I, I hear this a lot that this is something that's a very successful Instagram strategy 
Um, everybody thinks, you know, Instagram's all about just posting your content, but that technique of actually finding people and messaging them. So what did you message Walshie? I've been speaking to him probably for about a year, um, just every now and then. So the beauty about Instagram versus um, LinkedIn, which sucks to me, I, I don't like it because it's like, if I'm here, I want something from you. Whereas Instagram is like, I'll follow along. And then, you know, a few weeks or something goes by, oh, there's something you're doing that I can, I relate to. And I'll talk to you about it. And then you don't talk to them for another few months. And then there's something else going on. And I think at the time when Walshi Walshi was in China or something, he put up uh, an image of himself in front of the latest construction. And I said, are you in Australia? He's like, no, 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 that's my name. And anyway, we got talking. And uh, yeah, we just got talking. And uh, he said, I don't have a hotel to do, but I do have this um, this uh, sort of this place in Miami that I need help with. Some people don't want to talk to me, and that's fine. That's cool. <laughs> Some people are fine to talk to me. But you'll find that most people, as long as you're polite and respectful and not a not weird, <laughs> they'll, they'll talk to you because most people are happy to talk. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I talk to a lot of people on Instagram. That's been, I don't go outside. I just talk to people on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really cool. I mean, that's a really, really interesting. I wouldn't even call that a strategy. That's just a habit. It's just where you maintain social relationships and make new ones. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, and that's something I found some time ago. It's it really exciting when you find people that are like you, excited about the same things you are. It's, it's, it's very exciting and you can talk to them or you can get excited about the same things they do. And that's kind of what we, we like in life. That's why we always come together in tribes, right? When you went to Dezine initially, because you saw that story, and actually what's really interesting in the article is it says that Scott Valentine reached out to talk about this, then the article somehow became about you. And because you just had the perfect piece of content ready to add an expert perspective to the conversation, was the Instagram guide already there on your website at that point in time? Yeah, it had been up about six months. Um, And we put it up. And we had about 50 downloads. And I was excited 50 people wanted to know what I was telling them. So I was like, oh, this is all right. <laughs> um, and then that came out. And I'm like, ah, oh, more people want to know. This is cool. <laughs> so we, we were actually thinking, oh, that was a bit of a failed effort for a while. Um, it just turned out we were ahead of the market curve. Although we weren't ahead. We were just sort of commentating what was happening in the design world. Yeah, so it wasn't like you had to be preparing a piece of content marketing that content or promoting that content and moving on to the next piece it was just you were kind of creating content and then on the lookout for opportunities where it could connect with stories other people were writing um, things that were being talked about yes and actually i did go through a lot of uh, news websites the bigger news websites like uh, atlantic times or the atlantic or the bigger guys and i was searching for articles they've already done on instagram and then I was following up with those, um, with the, uh, the, the editors or the writers of those articles and uh, seeing if they were interested in talking about what we were talking about. Um, do you want to introduce the Instagram guide or sort of backtracking a bit behind that, sort of what led up to cre- creating that, the process you went through to create it? Yeah, so we have a um, particular way of designing that we've learned from brand, brand strategists um, in the marketing industry. Uh, it's something that you'll see if you buy um, 
uh, Seth Godin's latest book, This Is Marketing, and it's becoming more and more prolific in the design world. It's not in architecture yet. Um, I think we do it, and Hassels um, bought a company called Free State in, in England, and they do it. But it's, it's, a, it's a methodology of, of taking user personas and understanding and empathizing with that user in their life and the way they do things. Um, it's a particular way that we do that. And so we kind of actually wanted to introduce the world to that. Um, and we knew, saw that there was this, this idea of, um, you know, everyone wants to be Instagrammable, but then we're like, okay, but we, we did a small sort of pitch to, um, for Jumeirah Bali, uh, just for the beach club on, in, um, in front of it. And we actually did some the user personas that you'll see on our site for them as a, a bit of a pitch. And we're like, hang on, this would actually, there's actually three different kinds of people in that scenario that are going to use this beach club. And they're actually quite different. The way, they, the way they'll take photos and the way they'll see things is all quite different. So there's probably something in this if we sort of help people understand that, okay, this particular people will like particular things and start to sort of hypothesize on the reason behind it. So what we did in the, in the guide is we, we introduced people to the idea of, of creating personas and, and user-centered design for architecture. And then we tried to sort of analyze, okay, what's the current behaviors, that behavior we see in, in, on Instagram, and then hypothesize why is that happening? Um, so you'll see like a little table under each of those photos, you know, the reasoning why we believe this is happening. Now, it doesn't matter if you're wrong. It just matters that you thought about it. And if you thought about it, then you're, then you're addressing the concern. And then we tried to say, okay, well, that's been done. Here's some artists. So artists are very inspiring. They don't have to, to deal with the realities of the world. They can just do whatever they like because they're artists, um, you know, within reason. But generally, they, they, they don't have to deal with the things that an architect may have to deal with. So, hey, here's a few. Just have a look at these few. They're really cool. Uh, but there's hundreds, if not millions, in the world, and you can start to learn from them. And that's kind of the three parts to the book um, or the guide that we put together. And then we also did the uh, Psychology of Instagram uh, article that uh, accompanied it. And that was talking about, you know, why is Instagram so powerful and the psychology behind human beings and how they act and behave when they use Instagram and, and why they act on um, when they see a certain influential person going to a, a place or many of their friends going to a place, you know, why are they doing that? And so we, we wrote about that too. You're drawing on a lot of research from other areas and not just within architecture because you're right, you're doing something that is not part of the discourse in architecture. So you have to look outside. And that's what I felt when I read the guide. It's like, oh, I, you know, because I've, re I've read that Seth, is, uh, Seth Godin book. I've, I've seen a lot of the things that you were referencing from the marketing world. I'm like, oh, this is almost like a marketing book, but it's an architecture book. So the reason is for that is that in the reality of what we do is we don't build buildings, we solve business problems. And so that's how we need to see architecture as, as far in the commercial world, at least, is that we're solving problems and generally business problems. Um, and awareness of a brand is a business problem. Um, we as designers can be a linchpin in awareness of a brand because we can design the building, the interiors, all the, um, uh, the fit out and, and so forth. Um, so that's what Instagram has done for us as designers. It's made us, it's made us more important. Uh, but 
that that if you start to look through the lens of hang on i'm not about light and space or or whatever it is the nerdy things that we as architects get off on and we look at it as i'm here to solve a business problem for someone they've come to me because i've got a business problem let's try and define what that is and let's try and solve it for them and then the fact that the media came along later and they were talking about the exact same issue is just evidence that you picked probably a big enough problem. Yes, and then and, and if you are focused not on architecture but on solving problems, you will also see these. You will also be able to identify these things as well. Um, now, for all I know, most of the most of the architectural the owners of architectural firms are thinking along those lines. But I know usually in the the lower levels down, we're usually thinking all the all the nerdy sort of things. I mean, my role before starting my own company was very much like a project architect kind of role. And it was all the details and it was all the, the messy bits, which are very, very important. But the thinking on, you know, what what is what are we trying to do here um, was very much like, I'm, I'm an architect, I design things, I'm, I'm, you know, I make stuff, you know, but why do I make stuff? Um, so that, that sort of, that's something I've learned over the, had to sort of relearn. I've done basically another university degree to figure all this stuff out in my, you know, on my laptop for using books and the internet. Yeah, but that's but that's it. That's that's kind of what you did a little bit differently. Do you think that you need to be a very curious person to see it to see the business of architecture this way? Yeah, I think so because if you're not and you've learned, um, we'll just, we'll just put in the, sort of the nerdy aspects of architecture whichever bits you're excited about, um, and you only focus on that and you're not curious, then, yeah, you, you're going to kind of struggle. But I think in the nature of design, whether it's architecture or other design practices, um, I think we are curious people. Um, maybe, maybe later in life, I notice that later in life, people seem to just accept and like, oh, I'm just going to do this. And, and, you know. but, but I think generally in our nature as architects, we're very curious. Uh, I wonder if we we maybe don't maybe we don't question things enough in what we do we get so used to okay this has got to be done by a certain time and i need to make this amount of money and all these sort of everyday things whereas i was um i was happy to burn every dollar i had trying to figure this problem out and um yeah so we burnt every dollar we had <laughs> trying to figure this problem out did it start from the idea that the guide was dealing with a more complex or wide-ranging set of research or subject matter that might have been too too big to cover in a blog post, or what was the what was your thinking there? Yeah, that, I mean that that's it. It's it's complex. It's staged. Um, if you download it or if you buy it, you're invested in it, and so you will read it. Whereas a blog post, you'll you know if you're really invested, you'll read the whole thing. Uh, a great majority of people will only read the first little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to unpack. And so there's the Instagram design guide, which is all about how to sort of the, the creating the inputs for Instagram, I guess. And then there's the niche hotel design guide, which is about taking the using Instagram to design um, and taking the outputs from Instagram to inform your design. So, yes, both of these are very complex things to sort of unpack. Um, after I've done it, I think it's like kind of simple in my head, but like to somebody brand new looking at it, it is actually quite complex. It's just that, you know, you spend quite a bit of time on it. You, you just take it for granted, which is what we do as, our, as designers and professionals. We take what we know for granted. Yeah, it, it is two very 
the, the two different guides are two different subjects on inputs and outputs of Instagram. And, and it's, it's sort of such a big thing to, to sort of cover. And we covered it within the niche of, of hospitality and design because um, that's, you know, what we like doing. So once the, once the guide was up there for six months, you mentioned it got like 50 downloads or something, but then it hit this moment. Could you give a bit of an insight into your point of view on how the media works once, it's, once you start that fire and something starts to go viral? Um, I, I think maybe that they're the, there's like the design media, which are the front runners and they'll sort of push an idea and then you might get a few, you'll get a, a few like little blogs and, and people on the side with maybe smaller websites or, or blogs start talking about it. You'll start to see the bigger guys taking notice. And so that takes, it takes quite a bit of time. So if you start to put something together today and uh, and you be, and it does actually resonate with people. It'll probably come to light in a year's time. It's probably the way to, to look at it. So if you start your marketing campaign today, um, you know that's for one year. In one year, do you feel that the mainstream media was maybe the story kind of evolved into something else, or it became part of a broader kind of conversation? Yeah, the what I've noticed in the writing is there'll just be there'll be a lot, you know, of examples. Then we usually get mentioned as the guys that did the guide, and then there'll be somebody at the end saying, "But this person says this," and it's usually somebody that's maybe older and doesn't get Instagram. Um, so, <laughs> sorry to all the older people out there, but <laughs> it's usually somebody older, and they're just like. You know, angry or something, <laughs> or or you know, or they've been misquoted or something like that. It's just it's just kind of funny to read, um, and and their point is usually actually quite valid. It's just usually they haven't properly understood um, maybe the subject matter of Instagram um, so well. Like, and and usually it's something like, oh, but we need to design good spaces, not just Instagrammable spaces. Something along those lines. Yeah, exactly. It's like, and you were never saying it's one or the other, right? You, you were saying it's part of the process. And you can imagine that the the poor the poor older architect, because the journalist is coming to them and going, so do you think that Instagram is the most important thing that a great architectural building should do in 2019? And like, you can just imagine that's very, you'd be taken aback by by that answer if you're a sort of traditionally schooled architect. Um but but yeah, that was really never the argument that you were trying to make. And I think what's interesting was that your your content's not trying to you're not trying to shift architectural culture. You're speaking to outsiders first and foremost, right? Like people that can actually use the process and the ideas that you're sort of putting together and sharing. Yeah, so that was the goal, and that's actually our goal moving forward. Is we will create more and more content, um, some paid, some not paid, because there's so much wonderful nerdy knowledge within the architectural community and the design community that can help these people. But we're such nerds about it. There's like this big barrier; they cannot get to it. They don't understand it, and they and every time I go now into a bar or a restaurant or wherever, and I start asking them questions, by the end of it, I've I've got them saying, oh, wow, thank you very much because I've asked some particular set of questions and, and sort of introduced design to them in the context of their problems that they're having. And they start to sort of see, oh, design might be able to help me. So we've, we've done this amazing job 
of isolating ourselves in architecture because we haven't sort of translated it down to the problem that particular businesses or niches are having. I'm thinking about the rest of the the industry and I think a, a, a thread that kind of comes up is time and you've mentioned how much of an investment of your time has gone into the, the content creation and now I imagine it's even more significant that you're doing interviews and you've got journalists reaching out to you asking for quotes and how does an established architect that's maybe their, their schedule is very full with projects do you have any advice to that or how do you find the time because you're busy you're practicing as well but you've you've sort of partitioned off time for this i think it'd be a bit hard for me to comment on on other people's businesses um certainly they would have to believe that growing their brand was their was an ultimate investment that they needed to make so before they start spending time on it, they, they need to have that mindset that this is worthwhile. I mean, and you see it all the time. I mean, um, one great example I saw was, is not architecture. This construction is great, construction in Brisbane. And they do, they've, they've been probably following along the same path as the timeline as we have when they started getting on social media, but their, their brand in Brisbane has just shot up and they are, they are the builder for luxury houses now and there. I don't even think the boys are 30 yet. Um, so first and foremost, your mindset would have to be that, okay, brand is, is the most important thing. So I, I, I guess they've just got to weigh up the, the amount of investment they want to spend versus the outcome they want. And then that, the, there's probably a, an answer in there somewhere. I know a lot of, uh, everyone struggles with it because they'll, they'll push out some articles or something and then they get busy and they stop. And then um, maybe two years went by and then the, the building bust is coming again. So they rushed to position themselves again. And it's just, it's not an, it's not an easy game running an architectural firm. I, I, I guess you've just got to be very uh, thoughtful about project managing the whole thing. Um, where does this fit in our overall strategy of our company? You know, if they expect an immediate return or even as fast a return as we got as, as far as media coverage, they may not get that. It's a very it's it's typically a very long game, and you you produced a lot of content that didn't go viral. Countless you know blog posts that you put a ton of work into, and it it was the how many how much content had you created before the Instagram guide, and then the six months after that. I mean, you were you were quite far along into your process before you saw the kind of this takeoff of one particular outlier piece of content. We did Instagram design guide. We did niche hotel design guide. Both of those took about three months each. Um, uh, each of the articles took two to six weeks to create. We what else did we do in there? And then I mean, there's just producing the website and everything. Everything on that website is every image is, is ours. We drew it. Everything's ours. So it was an enormous investment in time in in that. We did an animation when we first launched. So that's on our website that explains what we do, how we do it. Yeah, it's just been. There's been a lot. <laughs> it's been a lot. So for an, a bigger, I, I just, I think you'd have to put a budget towards it and, and the person in leadership would need to be involved that this is something that they're investing. Because in. I think if you're not focused on building your brand, I, I, I worry that, you know, I mean, your network gets left behind or, or your client pool dries up and you don't have a brand, then what do you have? Yeah, and your point about the leadership being invested 
in the process or involved in the process is so crucial. I mean, you go through that process of diagnosing a topic, picking apart that question. You don't, you don't end up ultimately writing the 2000 words or 3000 words. You get help with that. But in the actual construction of the response to the problem um, and the outlining of the article, that's where you're kind of involved. It would be almost, it just seems to me at least that it would be very, very difficult for you to, say, I need a blog post and go to somebody and just have them write it <laughs> on your behalf, right? Um, yeah. From start to finish. Like that's just, that's not going to work out for your... Well, if, yeah, if I'm trying to impart, you know, my knowledge on people, um, my niche tribe, then yeah, I think it'd be impossible because, I mean, it's quite a struggle for me because I've got to take what I know as an architect, try and figure out what their problem is and then align the two together and marry it up. And then after that point, I can give it to a writer. And, but there's still debate and there's still things involved when the writer's on it. So so are you looking at any other channels or areas of marketing for the future? So we're putting together, um, basically, I'm calling it Valet Academy. And uh, basically, it's a school to, to help people um, in this space. And uh, whether architects serving that, that niche or, or the niche itself, and that's where we'll, we'll invest our time because we can reach thousands, if not millions of people, whereas doing one-off projects, I can deal with one person and finding that one person is extremely hard. And you're, you're looking to reach um, the everyday person in your niche wherever they are in the world, right? Like the, you've got the entire planet Earth as your kind of target um, zone and that seems to be what your strategy is so beautiful about it because you're not looking for people, you know, within a 15 kilometer radius of your office. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that was out of necessity too, because um, I'm not local anywhere in the world. Um, I'm from Brisbane. We're a Brisbane based company, but I'm always in and out of Brisbane. I'm in Perth or I'm in Singapore, I'm in Indonesia or the Caribbean. And so I have a, a loose network everywhere around the world of people, but I don't have, so if, if I was an architect that, that say grew up in Brisbane, studied in Brisbane, always did stuff in Brisbane. I would have a local network, and I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't have discovered how to do this because I wouldn't be put into that position of oh my god, I don't have a local network. So, so I have to go for the entire world. I'm like I've got no option. I have to aim at the entire world. Um, and we get a lot of love from America and UK. So um, we'll see what happens there. I've noticed that you've started putting YouTube videos up. Is this a sort of a, a preliminary into your course um, and your and your education content. Um, so you, are you laying a bit of a video framework for the future? Um, yeah, there, there will be in what we're creating, creating now. Those were, we were doing Saturday morning live sessions. After we would release an article, I would do a live session. Not many people attended at the time. But um, yeah, so then we took those recordings and we put them on YouTube and, and they became content. So that content relates to the articles that are there and it's me speaking through them. And you'll see from the very first one to um, to the last one, I get better. <laughs> I get better at yeah. doing it. <laughs> the first one, I was I was waiting on something, some microphones to be delivered and it was all going wrong. And I'm like, we're just doing it anyway. So we just, just, you just do it and you'll learn and you just do the next one, you do the next one. And so then, you know, the, by the time you've done a lot, you've, you're getting pretty good. Yeah, I've noticed that people that tend to get a long way with um, with content marketing um, don't struggle with perfectionism. 
you have to let it go. You have to let it go. 80%, 80 no, goal is 100%, but ship at 80%, basically, because that's the next 20 is going to take you so much time. You think there's a point where things are good enough and then they're, they're good to go? Because you're, right. you're collecting, you're collecting feedback, right? Like you're experimenting to see what works. And if you're taking months and months just to test an idea, um, that's that's going to be a long time before you get to make some decisions, right? Or find out what is going to work for your your target customers. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's probably something we need to learn going forward even more. Is that try and test, have a platform to test ideas and then perfect them uh, after we know that 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 testing works. And so we're, we're thinking of trying to come up with strategies on how to do that. That's another just strange part of it, going into it without kind of a firm understanding um, of exactly how it's going to play out. When I'm working with clients and sometimes there'll be a recommendation that's coming from outside of architecture, a certain strategy, a certain way of looking at it, there's sometimes this pressure to point us to an architect who has succeeded doing this at doing this in the past. Sometimes that can be very difficult. A lot of the time that can be very difficult, but that's obviously not something that you think about too much, right? Because you've got that, you're looking outside of architecture. It's either do this or give up architecture because it's boring otherwise, if you're not doing something cool and creative, if I'm just, if I'm just continuing with the, the same way, I would be bored. So <clears throat> the, I, I mean, and Excitement and, and all those things, I guess, that's going as human beings um, comes from not knowing. It comes from the surprise around the corner. While there's no certainty, I, I guess I'm, I've just gotten used to the uncertainty, I guess. And you learn, to, you learn to just live with it. And you know that tomorrow something else is going to happen that's crazy and you have no idea someone's going to contact you. If you're not good with uncertainty and you need certainty in everything, um, you might want to look at doing this a different way um i'm all i'm cool with uncertainty that's fine just just get and do it and stuff happens and that's i think i think most of the world they then they want there has to be a, a level of certainty in everything they do um if you can break away from that which is quite hard because we have all this debt usually i i got rid of everything to start this company i sold all my apartments i sold everything i had to put everything down to a backpack with a drone and a camera in it and laptop and and um i don't you know i've got a different life to other people too i don't have kids and all that kind of stuff so um if if you've got mountains of debt i couldn't do this if i had mountains of debt it would be um terrifying but uh i i got rid of everything for the purpose that i had been i bought my first property when i was 22 and then i bought my second one when i was 26 um and this the stress that puts on you uh, wasn't worth it. Wasn't worth the money. I I guess I'd done some a lot of things earlier than most people, um, and learned some lessons earlier. And learning the lesson that if I'm pursuing what I love doing, or really am ambitious and passionate about, then cool, and I won't worry about the uncertainty. Well, Scott, it was and it was awesome chatting to you. And I would love to check back in in a couple of months' time or a few months' time and speak again and sort of see where things are going with this story that seems to be unfolding quite quickly in real time. What would you, you know, like people to check out, to go and, to go and visit your website? Where, where would you like them to have a look at the things that you've got coming up? Um, go on our website, have a look at the articles, and then 
you know, check out the guides. Um, we put a lot of work into them. I believe everyone will appreciate them um, and get something out of it because I think the way that we're doing architecture is quite different. It's quite revolutionary in, in architecture, strangely enough, despite it's been around so long. So take the time to, I mean, we've written all about it, so you, you can start to get an idea of what it's all about. We do hope to put out um, a user-centered design for architecture um, course in the uh, later in the year. Uh, we'll probably do a pre-sale of that. And that will kind of be designed between the sort of the end business owners or the architects can both use that. And if they if they don't want to buy the guides, there's, uh, there's the free downloadable um, portion. They can go on and download that and I'll get their email address and then I'll update them when when it's ready, when when all the other things are ready. It's, it's taking a mammoth. We're basically building a, a second brand at the moment. So it's taking quite a bit of work to get the Butler Academy going. So, but we'll have more coming out fairly soon on, on that. Awesome, man. Thank you very well, thanks, much. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for the chat. I really appreciate it.